Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Latola, and I'd like to welcome you to this clinical presentation on occlusal splints. Over the last 20 years of my career, the number of occlusal splints that I've done has gone up exponentially. In fact, Dr. Gordon Christensen estimates that nearly one-third of your patients are excellent candidates for occlusal splints based either on bruxism, clenching, or a post-restorative situation. So if you're an average dentist that has about 2,000 patients, this means that nearly 700 of your patients should currently be wearing occlusal splints. And if you're anything near the national average, your number is way lower than that. Keep in mind that there are six attorneys in the United States for every one dentist, and to a lot of these malpractice attorneys, the fact that a dentist doesn't even offer an occlusal splint to a patient who has advanced wear most likely would equate to supervised neglect. So why don't dentists make more splints for their patients? I didn't make very many splints for my patients early in my career because I did not like occlusal splints. And this goes back to the very first occlusal splint I ever wore, the one that was made for me in dental school by the student to my left. Now there was nothing wrong with the splint. It was made exactly as the instructors told them to make it, but it was a large maxillary full hard splint. And when I would put the splint into place, teeth would move. Uh, specifically, tooth number 10 would move. So every time I'd pop this splint in after not wearing it for a week or two, I could feel tooth number 10 being shoved back to the lingual. Little did I know I was doing Invisalign, instant orthodontics, and I wish I would have thought to patent it at the time. But because of the physiological movement of teeth, anytime you don't wear an occlusal splint for a couple weeks and pop it in, a tooth is going to move. And for me, it was painful. So now to wear my splint, I had to take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen just to be able to wear the splint. I did not make any splints for my patients because if I couldn't wear one, how were they going to wear one? A lot of the dentists that I talk to don't like to prescribe occlusal splints because they say they don't like to work with TMD patients. But that really represents a very small portion of the patients who I see that require or would benefit from an occlusal splint. 80% of my patients that I see that would benefit from an occlusal splint need a preventive splint. Whereas only about 20% of the patients I see that could benefit from a splint need it for therapeutic reasons. Whether or not you decide to treat TMD patients is up to you, but there's still 80% of that third of the patients in your practice who can benefit from a preventive occlusal splint. In fact, the vast majority of patients that I make occlusal splints for fall into this preventive category. That is, we're just going to make a splint for them and not do any occlusal equilibration. In fact, when I think about the reasons why I do splints in my practice, most of them fall into the preventive category. So let's take a look at what some of these categories are. The first one is bruxism and clenching. Bruxism is defined as excessive wear in eccentric positions. I can certainly demonstrate that myself on my own cuspids and now my own bicuspids. Whereas clenching is defined as excessive wear in centric occlusion. And according to Dr. Gordon Christensen, one night of bruxism or clenching is equal to 100 days of normal wear. Doesn't it make sense to at least offer our patients a preventive therapy like an occlusal splint for those patients who brux or clench? 
The second reason that we make occlusal splints is for pre-rehabilitative purposes. This is going to be a patient who's probably going to have a full mouth rehab, has done some extensive damage to his dentition over the decades, and now in order to restore him from this collapsed bite, we're going to have to open him back up to be able to place some restorations on the anterior teeth. For this patient, we're going to make a splint that holds him open at this new vertical dimension of occlusion and see if he can handle being open again, see if his muscles will tolerate this new position. Once we find a, a measurement that's acceptable, we're going to use some BioTemps provisional restorations to hold him at this vertical dimension. The third reason to do an occlusal splint would be post-rehabilitation, that same patient we just mentioned, or another patient who gets, say, 20 units of bonded ceramic restorations. Any patient who has demonstrated wear before having these restorations done, and many times that's the reason we're doing these restorations, is going to get a post-rehabilitative occlusal splint. If the patient has worn down the teeth that God made, I certainly think they're going to be able to do a number uh, to the teeth that this laboratory made. So we're going to help them ensure their $30,000, $40,000 investment, whatever it might be, with a post-rehabilitative occlusal splint. The fourth reason to do a splint would be for orthodontic reasons. There are some times where we're going to make a splint that's going to allow posterior teeth to erupt, for example, and able to open a bite that way if we're not doing a full mouth rehab on that patient. The fifth reason to do occlusal splints would be for periodontal purposes. If we want to splint teeth together and give them some strength and the patient can't tolerate having something like ribbond or wire on the back of their teeth, and the sixth reason to do splints, and this would be in the therapeutic, not the preventive domain, would be for patients who are suffering from TMD. Again, you may or may not want to treat this group of TMD sufferers. I know dentists who say that all TMD patients are crazy. I know dentists who love treating this group because they love getting patients out of pain. Uh, regardless of what you think about this group, it is somewhat comforting to note that 80% of TMD sufferers can be treated successfully with just an occlusal splint and an occlusal equilibration. However, the majority of occlusal splints that I make for my patients, in fact, the majority of occlusal splints that we as a lab make for dentists are of the preventive nature. They are for bruxers, clenchers, and for post-rehabilitative situations. My favorite splint is a full maxillary splint. It's a hard, soft material. It's got a long, wide centric to give the patient some room, and it's got one occlusal stop for each opposing tooth. Now, why do I find that the hard, soft material is so important? Well, it's because I wouldn't expect the patient to wear an occlusal splint that I wouldn't wear. Remember that first splint I had back in dental school? It was so uncomfortable, I didn't make any splints for people because I knew it was too uncomfortable for even me to wear. The hard soft material represents an advancement in technology with these splints so that they're more comfortable to wear, especially if the patient doesn't wear it on a nightly basis. Now we recommend that all patients wear these splints every night and during the day during periods of high psychological stress, but we know that's not always going to happen. So let's take our average patient who wears the splint when they have some soreness, when they wake up with either muscle sore or with teeth sore, and then they don't wear their splint for a week or two. And then they pop it back in again for the first time because they've woken up with some sore muscles. Now, if it's full hard splint, if they've had any tooth movement whatsoever, it's going to be very painful to put the splint in. And most of the patients I talk to say they literally get a headache from inserting the splint. On a hard soft splint, we have a half millimeter of soft material inside the splint. So if we have a tooth that has moved out towards the facial, this softer material will compress without moving the tooth nearly as much as the hard material. 
In fact, if you really have a tooth that's moved, either you or the patient can put a hard soft splint into some hot water and really soften that up and pop it back in again and let the softer material cool around the teeth in their new position. So let's go ahead and take a closer look at one of these hard soft occlusal splints and see what some of the desirable features for an occlusal splint are. This is what one of the hard soft splints, a Comfort HS, HS for hard soft splints, looks like sitting on the model. Let's look at some of the desirable features of the splint. You can see that on the lingual, we've tried to thin this as much as possible. This is one of the most crucial aspects for patient comfort is that the lingual flange of this splint be trimmed and be as thinned as much as possible to as much of a knife edge as possible because really the clinical success of a splint like this basically comes down to whether or not the patient's going to wear it. When you have something that has this much retention as this splint does, you know, covering the buccal third of the cusps, these splints are not going to be able to be flicked out by the patient with their tongue uh, during the night. And so really the splint is going to work if the, if the patient wears it. And for the patient to wear it, it needs to be comfortable. So we want to make sure that this lingual flange material where it meets the palate is as absolutely thin uh, as possible. Not sharp, obviously, but knife-edged and rounded. Of course, with the opposing teeth, we're going to have one uh, contact per opposing tooth on this splint in the posterior and in the anterior. And a little bit later in this DVD, we'll go ahead and seat one on a patient and check that to see how it fits. You can see we've got some anterior coverage here. We've got the uh, incisal one-third of these teeth being covered. That's optional. You don't have to do that. It gives you some additional uh, retention and a little bit extra coverage for those anterior teeth. But if you have a patient who needs to wear it during the daytime because they have a habit of clenching either on the phone or, or while driving if they're a salesperson in their car, uh, and they want to be able to wear it during the day, you can certainly uh, grind or have the laboratory grind this away so that the acrylic material stops at the incisal edges uh, of the anterior teeth. It does give you more retention to cover that, but there's plenty of retention on these splints anyway, as you'll see when you try one into a patient's mouth for the first time. Now let's go ahead and remove this splint from the study model. And another desirable aspect of a splint like this, we'd like it to last a while. So it needs to be uh, a minimum thickness in the posterior. So on a full hard splint, we would want to see that it's at least a millimeter and a half thick. And I'm going to go ahead and measure this. It's a hard soft one. I already said that it's usually about three millimeters of hard material and a half millimeter of soft material. And that's what this one is. This one's just about 3.8 millimeters as I measure this width the caliper. And so we're going to have a splint where the patient can wear it and uh, grind on it and brux on it, whatever they're going to do on it, and it's going to last for a while. It doesn't need to last forever. Obviously, the thicker we make it, the less comfortable it becomes to wear uh, because the patient's jaws are farther apart when they try to go to sleep. So we want to uh, make it so it's going to last uh, for a couple of years uh, around there is uh, basically the life expectancy of one of these. Uh, at the same time, it's got some patient-friendly features, the ability that, uh, to have a soft layer on the inside so if they don't wear it for a week or two, it'll go to place without uh, causing any kind of headaches. And of course, if it really starts to fit poorly, they can, they can put it into some hot water or you can do it in the office, reseat it into their mouth and let it cool and the memory of that soft material will adapt to the new tooth position. Before we take the impressions for the occlusal splint, let's spend a little bit of time talking about impression trays and impression material. 
typically the way to take an alginate impression has been in a stock metal perforated tray. And these metal perforated trays are fantastic. The only problem is that you have to have a rather large inventory on hand, and they're not cheap either. Uh, so sometimes we would try a tray into a patient's mouth, and we might have to try in two or three sizes till we found one that fits. And now all these other trays need to be disinfected or sterilized. And so you have to have a lot of trays on hand to be able to do this. And there's a new tray that eliminates uh, a lot of this variability, and it's called the Adjusta tray. It's from GC America. I want to show you this because I don't know if you're familiar with this tray or not. It really keeps us from having to stock tons of sizes on these trays. And when you look at this tray, you can see that it's got an open hinge at the front. And then there's four different uh, sizes that we can choose on this tray, all the way from small, if we go completely closed like this. And there's four sizes. There's a medium, a large, and an extra large. And as you move it through these positions, the tray snaps into place. It's also perforated, which is fantastic, meaning it doesn't need any adhesive painted on there. It's also got some additional ridges to help hold it in place. It's a nice, well-made tray, and you can try it into a patient's mouth at a size medium, for example. If it's not big enough, you just take the tray out, snap it over to a large, and try it back in and see how that fits. It's also got some ridges that you can see on the side in addition to the perforations, and these allow you to actually break little pieces of the tray off if you want to use this for an edentulous study model. In fact, you can break all of these off. Or if you just have an edentulous quadrant, you can just break off a piece of it over here on the side as well. So I'm a huge fan of these trays, and I now use this for all of our study models, all of our posing models, for bleaching splints, for occlusal splints. About the only thing I don't use these trays for is for our crown and bridge work, where we still use custom trays fabricated by the laboratory. And the good news is, of course, it comes uh, in a lower tray for the mandible as well. When it comes to taking impressions for study models or for occlusal splints, the standard material of choice for decades has been alginate. And alginate's got some very desirable properties. It's certainly very cheap. Uh, it's very hydrophilic. It's about the most hydrophilic material around. Uh, but beyond that, it's got some problems. Uh, for ultimate accuracy with alginate, it really needs to be poured in your office, especially if you think about the fact that we're here in California and you doctors watching this are out across the country, by the time you take an alginate impression and wrap it in a couple wet paper towels and seal it in a Ziploc bag and send it out to us, you'd be surprised how many times we open that bag and the paper towel is completely dry. All the moisture has evaporated from it, the towel's kind of stuck to the alginate, and we simply have no way of knowing you know, how much distortion there's been in that alginate impression. So what I like to use instead of alginate is one of the alginate replacement materials. And my favorite happens to be alginate. And this is from Kerr. And it's not alginate. It's an alginate replacement material. In fact, what it is, it's a polyvinyl siloxane material, like a regular crown and bridge material, except it's cheaper and it doesn't have the detail. It doesn't have quite the viscosity. It doesn't have uh, the different viscosities that are available in a crown and bridge material. But unlike alginate, it's much more accurate when it comes to the occlusal surfaces of tooth and picking up tooth structure. Uh, it doesn't need to be poured right away. It can be poured five, seven days later. Uh, it can have multiple pours. There's a lot of great things about this material, and of course it is slightly more expensive. 
than alginate, uh, but it's really worth it for opposing models and for occlusal splints. As you can see, it's available in the gun form or the form we like to use, and then a lot of times it's in the sausage form for the uh, Penta mixers, the automatic mixers, where you just press the button and you get that nice soft serve flowing out and into the tray. So uh, this has become my impression of material of choice for just about everything having to do with bleaching splints, uh, occlusal splints, opposing models, anything besides the actual crown and bridge impressions is going to be done with the Algenaut, the Algenaut FS, the facet material. You can see my assistant has filled the tray. This is the Algenaut material from Kerr. It's probably the best name in dentistry for an, any product, especially an Algenaut replacement product. And she's put a little extra on her index finger. And as you can see, she's going to smear this on the occlusal surfaces of the posterior teeth and then along the incisal edges of the anterior teeth. Really, this is uh, the areas that we have to capture on a uh, occlusal splint impression like this. Then she's taking the adjusted tray that's been filled with the Algenaut material. This is the facet material and she's seating the tray into place. So when you think about an occlusal splint and where it's going to fit, the, the areas that we really need to have uh, in good focus, good definition on the impression on the model are going to be the occlusal surfaces of the posterior teeth, the occlusal third of those posterior teeth, and then the incisal third of the anterior teeth. So if you take an impression like this and you get a bubble you know, along the gingiva on one of the molars or one of the bicuspids or you have a pull on an anterior tooth you know, by the gingiva or up by the frenum, it's not a big deal because these are all areas that are not going to affect the fit of the occlusal splint. And my assistant has now filled the tray for the lower opposing impression. We're still using the Algenaut for the lower impression. In fact, we use uh, these Algenaut replacements like Algenaut for all of our impressions. And that's kind of one of my pet peeves that I see here in the laboratory. We'll see a dentist send in maybe uh, a case that's, let's say, eight crowns. So this is something where the patient's going to pay maybe $8,000 for it. And we'll see just a really cruddy opposing model that was taken in Algenet and then sent to us from, you know, New York. So three days later, it's getting uh, poured up. And it just kind of bothers me when I see uh, people take a, a cruddy opposing model for something like an $8,000 uh, restorative case. And even for a splint like this, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, to use something like Algenaut and spend a little bit more and get a great impression that's going to be stable over time and can be poured multiple times and be extremely accurate. So try not to skimp on these opposing models, even though they're just opposing models. So let's go ahead and take a closer look at these impressions. Here's the lower one, the opposing one that we got. Again, by spending a little bit more and using a little nicer tray and getting a good impression of the opposing model, we're just going to make sure that when the laboratory goes to hand articulate, these models that we're going to end up uh, with a nice result. We're going to end up with a nice accurate model on the lower and you can see how good that looks. Let's take a look at the upper one for the splint. Now because this is a splint and it's not going to come anywhere near the palate, my dental assistant uh, always knows not to place any material in the palate. Remember the occlusal splint is going to follow the outline of the teeth and it's going to come up about a third of the way on the facial surfaces of the teeth and it's going to cover the entire lingual. So we're looking around the lingual to make sure that we've got all the detail along the lingual. And again, we just need the incisal third of those anterior teeth is where the splint is going to fit. So as we look around, we just want to make sure that we get the junction of the tooth and the gingiva on the lingual as we come all the way along here. And when you pour this up and get a look at the stone model, the detail on these teeth is really pretty amazing. And that's why I've chosen to stick with the alginate replacement materials like uh, this one, the alginate. 
My dental assistant has finished taking the impressions for the occlusal splint, and in fact, that's one of the things that I love about providing occlusal splints for my patients, is that a well-trained dental assistant can practically do the entire procedure by herself. Because an occlusal splint is a provisional appliance, the dental assistant can take the impressions, can seat the splint, can make adjustments to the splint, and deliver the splint without me ever having to walk into the room. You may also notice that we did not take a bite registration during the impression procedure, and we never have to take bite registrations for these types of hard soft splints. As you'll see later in this presentation, the Aquaform, the built-in articulator on the thermal forming machine that fabricates these hard soft splints, makes it so that we don't have to take a bite registration. Some doctors have expressed an interest in being able to make these hard, soft occlusal splints in their own office, and there certainly is a system in place if you'd like to do that. So quickly, I'd like to take you through the steps. In fact, this is exactly the same way that we make them here in the laboratory. So you're literally going to be doing and receiving the same splint that you get from us. So the upper model has been mounted here in the lower pot, and you can see those stainless steel granules that have been placed around them to block out any undercuts. And then we put that little gasket on top of that and then the lower model is in the aquaform in the articulator that i mentioned earlier in this tape and you can see how the two models are hand articulated together perfectly they're really rocked in there and that's why you want to take a nice impression and that's why you want to clean up the occlusal surfaces and you can see we're opening the pin here the three or four millimeters necessary based on how thick of material you're going to use to fabricate the splint. And then you heat the splint material up for a couple minutes, and then it's got a rapid vacuum. And, and if you watch that part that just happened, you can really see the material suck down and get thin over the maxillary arch. And then you can see the aquaform is closed, so the pin's down on the table. So we have stamped the opposing arch in there in a uh, general sense, and it's going to give us that one occlusal stop uh, per opposing tooth. And then this is a little twist drill that gets used in a lab uh, handpiece to cut this off the model. And you can see you just cut. It cuts you know, right into the model. Our technicians have made so many of these occlusal splints for dentists that they really have figured out the fastest way to be able to do it. So what you're seeing here uh, is actually part of a training DVD that you get if you uh, purchase the system to make these splints in office. And again, I would fully expect that this would be completely done by one of your dental assistants. I, I don't think unless you really loved doing this part with your hands that a dentist would ever actually do. This can be very easily delegated to a staff member who enjoys uh, this type of thing. And uh, it is a fun material to work with. It's not a real difficult material to work with. Uh, to make splints, to make occlusal splints in the old days, uh, you had to take... Uh, typically a clear orthodontic resin and you would mix it in a cup and roll it kind of into a hot dog and and place it over the uh, the patient's teeth and let it set and it was really kind of an amorphous blob when you were done this as you can see already has a shape there's that lisco disc being used and then the inner liner is being pulled out from the soft material it's in there protecting the soft material until we're done and then here's one of our technicians using the felt wheel after the Lisco disc to put that nice polish all around the splint. Again, after I adjust the occlusal surfaces of the splint, I don't go back and do that felt wheel because I know the patient's just going to grind on it again. But 
Here they're polishing all the non-occluding uh, sections of it, including that palette area. And you can see there it is. Obviously, it takes a little bit longer than that to do all these steps, but you get the exact same occlusal splint in your office that we make here at the laboratory for a much cheaper price for you. And probably more importantly, you have the occlusal splint ready the same day, you know, within hours. And so if you have a patient who's got acute TMJ pain, you're able to deliver them a high-quality splint within a couple of hours. Here we've got a patient that we fabricated an occlusal splint for. And before we go ahead and insert the splint and make any adjustments and deliver it to the patient, let's take a closer look uh, at the condition on his teeth. This patient is only 27 years old, and you can see we've got some wear here on the lower anterior teeth already. Got some wear on the lower cuspid. As, as we pull in, you can see there's some chips on the incisal edges of the lowers. Here's the the maxillary anteriors, and you can see the ragged look to those teeth as well. And, um, you know, the teeth otherwise look uh, pretty decent. You can tell that he's, you know, probably not 60 or 70 years old, but that's a lot of wear for the age group that he's in, considering that he's, he's 27. And I just wonder what it's going to look like 30 or 40 years later. So this is exactly the kind of person who we're going to show this to and say, hey, look, here's what's going on in your mouth. In fact, here we've got him holding a mirror so he can see some, look at that. And look how that upper and lower cuspid uh, come together, which is what they are you know, supposed to do as he slides into excursions. But you can see we've got the lower lateral hitting the upper lateral which is part of the wear pattern there. We're already into group function. The first bicuspid's hitting the lower first bicuspid. And, you know, we check the other side and we kind of show him what it looks like. And you could see there he was biting together and those were fitting together like puzzle pieces. And there he goes, slides back over and bingo. Uh, we've got the two cuspids hitting each other and then we've got the laterals hitting each other as well. And, you know, he's going to continue to wear these teeth down. Why not offer him an occlusal splint? Why not offer him the opportunity to save wear and tear on his teeth over the next 20 years? Why not put the burden of responsibility onto him by making a, a splint for him? And now it's up to him uh, to wear it at night if he wants to save his teeth. And it's not up to us and whether or not we're going to give him the option of doing this. This is an easy thing for the assistants to look out for, especially the hygienists who are spending all that time with the patient as well. So the splint is in, and because it's a hard, soft splint, there's literally, uh, I can't think of one time where the splint hasn't fit, if you take a good, accurate uh, impression. So we're drying the splint off here with a couple of cotton rolls, and then putting articulating paper on both sides. You could use an arch of articulating paper if you wanted to, to be able to get the anterior at the same time. So we're just making some marks and taking it out. And I mentioned earlier that we want to have uh, one opposing tooth mark for each of the opposing teeth, so an occlusal stop for each opposing tooth. And you can see we've got uh, a few good ones on the one side and not as many on the other side. I can see a couple on the anterior. So using a pear-shaped burr in an electric handpiece, this is a lab handpiece, and this is really uh, an easy material to work with this acrylic material on the hard soft splints and uh, I still prefer using a high torque low speed electric handpiece. Can you do this chair side with a high speed handpiece? Yes, uh, you can with an air turbine but I just don't like the way that a carbide bird tends to dive into the material at those higher speeds. So I like to really do it slowly. If you've got an electric high speed handpiece that's fine. You can use it with that, but otherwise, you know, a lab handpiece, and they're not all that expensive just to get an electric uh, handpiece that can sit chair side or sit in your laboratory. 
you know, if you want to get up and, and move this back, you know, and take the splint back to the lab to make the adjustment. So we made one more small set of adjustments here. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and check the excursions and see how uh, uh, the splint looks there. Do we, in fact, have the cuspid rise that we'd like to have? Uh, those cuspids obviously can handle a lot of stress in a lateral direction. And so we're okay. And we'd like to see uh, cuspid disclusion on both sides uh, of this splint. And the, with the hard soft splints, it's like I said, with the delivery, I've rarely had one that hasn't gone down into place. And if there is one that doesn't seem to want to go into place, we put it into some, uh, I wouldn't say boiling hot water, but some really hot water. Uh, and we'll put the splint in there for about 30 to 45 seconds, take it out, shake it a few times, and then push it onto the patient's teeth. And, and that soft material on the inside will readapt itself around the patient's teeth. So unlike that full hard splint that I talked about that we made for each other in dental school, uh, we have a material that will adapt itself to the teeth, so it's not so much hit and miss uh, like it might be if we were using that full heart splint where it either fits or it doesn't fit. And uh, we're going to check the anterior here just one more time as the patient bites down together for us so we can check and see what the marks look like here. And then we can go ahead and make any additional adjustments that need to be made and then do any additional polishing that we need to do. So we can see we've got some nice spots in the area of the cuspid. Had the patient slide forward and protrusive. I can see some marks going forward on the anterior teeth as well. So this is pretty much doing what we want it to do for the patient. Again, this is a preventive occlusal splint. This is not a patient who's having any problems uh, with his temporomandibular joint. So we just want to uh, keep the teeth apart and have him grind on the plastic if he grinds on anything. This is the Lisco disc. This green disc you see me using, it looks a little bit like a... Scott-Bright, uh, Scotch-Bright sponge that you might use in the kitchen. These Lisco discs are available um, from us, from uh, Glidewell Direct. I don't know anybody else actually who sells them here in the States, but they do a great job on this acrylic and other acrylics in terms of uh, uh, polishing them. They're not uh, extremely abrasive, and any marks that you've made with uh, a carbide burr from an electric handpiece can be smoothed out rather easily with this Lisco disc, and uh, you can go beyond that if you want. Certainly, you can use a felt wheel uh, on a straight handpiece like that and move up and use an acrylic polish uh, if you want to. But one of the things to keep in mind is that the patient is going to be grinding on this surface. So, uh, you know, polishing it to a high shine like it was a veneer or like it was a crown is really not necessary. And you can see there, I really had to kind of grab onto that and pull that out. We make sure the patient knows how to put it in and take it out uh, themselves. And here's my uh, dental assistant, Jennifer, going over with the patient uh, about how to take care of it, how to maintain it, and when to wear it. And we tell pretty much every patient the same thing. We want them to wear it every night and during the day during periods of high psychological stress. If it wasn't for hard soft splints, I doubt I would be fabricating many occlusal splints for my patients like I am today. If the comfort of occlusal splints is what has kept you from providing them for your patients, why don't you do what I do and make one for yourself or make one for one of your staff members and wear it and see how comfortable an occlusal splint can be. On behalf of myself and everybody here at the laboratory, I want to thank you for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry.